Tonight's New Testament reading is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. I'd hoped I'd gotten taller, actually, this week, but I think the mic was just down a little bit lower than normal. Okay, would you join me as we pray? God, thank you so much that you long to meet with us during this time. You are the one that has always pursued mankind, not the opposite way. And so right now, our hearts are filled with expectation that you'll meet with each one of us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we are continuing our study in the book of Thessalonians of the New Testament. And up till now, it's really been one big Thanksgiving fest. Uh, The Apostle Paul is just so thankful for the Thessalonian Christians. He's thankful for their faith. He's thankful for their witness. He's thankful for their attitude toward the Word of God. In particular... He's thankful for the way that God's Word is working in them, working in their lives, working in their hearts. I wonder, are you aware of the way that words work in you? Are you aware of the way that words are working in your life or heart? I don't know if you've seen the film Birdman. It won the Oscar last year. Um, It's not an easy film to watch, if you've seen it. I mean, it's a tough film to watch. But it's the story of this aging actor who was formerly really a big deal. He was in superhero films. So just like, right, you have Iron Man and you have Captain America. His character was Birdman. He was Birdman. It was a blockbuster. But he starts to feel like, you know, I've wasted my life just doing these simple parts. I want to do a Broadway play. But as he does, there's a voice in his head that torments him. It's actually in the movie, The Voice of the Birdman, that says to him, you know, you fool, what makes you think you can do anything different? You need to go back to what you only know how to do. It torments him through the entire movie. It leads him to self-destruction in many ways. But it's a compelling example of the way that words work in us. Now, they don't always work negatively. It could be positive words that work in you, words that a a grandparent or a parent said to you, a teacher said, words that said, hey, you're loved. Hey, you've got gifts. You've got contribution. Or they may be negative words. I'm fat. I'm stupid. I'm the wrong race. I'm the wrong gender. I'll never amount to anything. These voices that we hear in our head and they work in our lives. Or they might be words from the outside. ISIS. Zika. The name of a presidential candidate that you hope doesn't get elected. 
right? But anyway, those words cause a reaction in us because they're working inside of us. So the question isn't, are words at work in you and me? The question is, whose words and what words are at work in us? That's really what we have to think about and consider. Now, Paul's joy is that God's word is at work in the Thessalonians, not the words of the Roman culture that told them they were outsiders, not the words of some of their countrymen that opposed them, but the word of God was at work within them. And so he was rejoicing. And those words enable the Thessalonians to live faithfully until the Son of God returns. And that same promise is for you and I today. And so I want to take our time together to look at recognizing the Word and receiving the Word of God. Recognizing the Word of God and receiving the Word of God. Now, Paul says that he's thankful that when the Thessalonians heard the word, they accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God at work in believers. And in that, Paul hits at a really key question, doesn't he? I mean, he hits at the question, is the Bible really God's word? That's a big question in our day. You might have that question today. Is the Bible really God's word? And if so, to what extent? In what sense is it God's word? And there's different approaches to that. Some people would say, no, the Bible is actually inspired human word. It's human reflection on who God is. It's just spiritually thinking about who God might be. But the problem with that is it robs God of his voice. Now, some of you kids here may have had this experience before, where an adult asks you a question, like, hey, what are you going to do this summer? What school you go to? But your parent answers for you. And you're like, well, hey, I can speak. I have a voice. Well, I imagine God might say the same thing. Because when we have this view that God couldn't directly speak to us, that any effort he would make to speak to us really is impossible, it's robbing God of the power of his own voice. If our littlest creations can lift their voice, if we as beings have a voice, how much more God the great being, the personal God of the Bible, speaks? Of course he speaks. He has spoken. Now, a second point of view is that, yeah, God speaks, but God's conversation with us is sort of like a bad phone connection. Meaning, you know, you're on the phone and it's a bad line and you're like, what did they say? What did you say? This dropped out, a word dropped out. I don't think I heard you. And so the idea is, Basically, when God speaks to us, because he's going through finite and flawed people, that means we never get a good connection. We're always going to get a flawed word. But the problem with that is it rods God of his power, doesn't it? Because it basically says that God can't be a good communications director. That God can't get his message out. But of course God, if he can speak, can get his message out to us. And so, these things lead us to wonder, well, how does the Bible view God speak? Well, it says that God does speak, and God can get his message out, and he preferred, he desired, it wasn't a mistake, it wasn't second best. He always planned to use human beings to speak his word. That wasn't plan B. And you find this running all the way through the Bible. Uh, Douglas Stewart, who is an uh, Old Testament scholar, says when you look at the Hebrew prophets, you actually observe four things about them. One is this, that they understood themselves to be servants through whom God spoke his word. Number two, they understood their message to be unoriginal, that it wasn't their own thinking. 
They understood that they occupied a divinely appointed office. They didn't just choose to do this on their own. God put them in it. And they understood what they preached. They weren't in a trance. And you find this in the Old Testament. When God sends Moses to Pharaoh, he says, I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh. And then you heard in the Old Testament reading in Deuteronomy 18 where God said, I will put my words in their mouth and they will speak my words and they will speak what I command them to speak. This is the tradition that the the apostles knew and the legacy they understood. They did not think, any apostle that thought, hey, I think I'm going to just go off the cuff and start sharing some of my inspired thoughts on my own. That wasn't even in their mindset. And we see this reflected in the apostle Peter who says, Know this first of all, that no prophet of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophet was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's saying it wasn't our idea, it wasn't our interpretation, it wasn't our slant on things. It wasn't the word of men, which Paul says. So maybe you can get to the point where you say, okay, I can believe that God has spoken, and I can believe that he could speak through human folks. But listen, there's a couple different holy books out there, right? How do I know which holy book would be the word of God? Well, you're going to have to take a little homework to work on that. But I'll tell you one thing. As you do, you realize that all the holy books don't claim the same things. As much as religious pluralism will say to you, all the religions say the same thing. Anybody that's bothered to read them, though, that's the furthest thing from the truth. In fact, some of them don't claim to be actually the inspired words of God. They're reflections of men. And what you find in the Christian faith, some unique things, is you find a God who isn't a force but who is personal, a God who loves us so much that he enters into time and space. And you find the only religion that says what these kids said earlier, that we can't save ourselves, but God will save us. But a second question you can begin to ask yourself is, are, are the texts, are the books actually reliable? Can they be verified? Is there history? Is there trustworthiness? And I, I preached on this in the fall a little bit more, so I can't go into it. But you'll find in the Christian scriptures, they take those questions seriously. Not as questions that are unimportant. Is it verified? Is it something that we can look at? I remember a conversation I had several years ago where uh, I was talking to a Mormon missionary. And they asked me, uh, they said, well, will you take the Book of Mormon and will you read it and then ask God whether it's true? And I said, well, yeah, I know. You know, on one hand, I could take any book and just say, God, is this true? What did he say? Now, I'm not trying to, prayer is important to know truth. But there's other things involved, right? God has called me to use my mind. He's called me to ask questions about the text, ask questions about its historicity. And so that'll maybe help you boil down this idea of what holy book we look at. But how does all this relate to preaching and teaching of today? Because that's really the relevant question. You come here every week and hear myself or Mike preach or someone else. How does this relate? And and really, I think it's summed up well in a confession that was written in the 1500s, that um, the Helvetic Confession, that says this, that the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. That is, when the Word is preached rightly, God is speaking. Now at this point, you might get nervous. 
and say, wait a second, are you trying to tell me that your and Mike's bad jokes and lame illustrations are the Word of God? And I would say, no, at least Mike's aren't, right? <laughs> but uh, he'll get me for, back for that later. But uh, no, I'm not saying that. We're saying when the Word of God is preached consistently and rightly according to the Scripture, God is speaking. Now, last week we heard a wonderful sermon from James Forsythe. And as he was preaching, I was listening going, God is speaking to me. I felt his power. I felt his wisdom. Of course, God means to speak to us. And that means every week we ought to show up with a certain eagerness and hope and expectation, shouldn't we? Because God has said that he will speak. Martin Luther, a couple hundred years ago, said something very helpful on this front. People generally think, if I had an opportunity to hear God speak in person, I would run my feet bloody. But you know, but you now have the Word of God in church. And this is God's Word as surely as if God Himself were speaking to you. Now maybe again you're feeling nervous about this. You know, I don't like the idea of a preacher having that sort of power. Well, let me tell you this. Preachers are never meant to force people to believe what they preach. That's not their job. That's coercion. And any preacher that understands the sovereignty of God understands that only God can change hearts. But there's another part of that too. And that is the congregation has a role. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul is preaching in Berea. And uh, as he's preaching, uh, it says this about the Bereans, that they were more noble than the Thessalonians. And by that, they're not talking about the Thessalonian church, but rather those that were opposing the gospel in Thessalonica. They were more uh, noble, and this is why. Because they received the word with all eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if the things were so. Now, this is really striking. Here you have an apostle that actually spoke Scripture, and even though he's speaking Scripture, they're still checking whether it's consistent with the Old Testament. They're, they're checking whether or not it's true. And this is the way the Word of God works in God's church. I mean, you know, we stand up and preach, right, and we're, as, as we're trying to be right to the Word of God, but you're also listening according to the Word of God because God's Spirit is not just in the preacher, He's in His people, amen? And so the Word is in the heart of the people. And so if I stood up and said, you know, we were at the elders' retreat the other day, and we sort of decided that Bob Baldwin is the 2016 version of the Messiah. And so we want you to give him all your money and root for all his sports teams. You would rightly say, we're not going to do it, right? And so this is the idea. You're not just passive in the matter. And so the Word of God works this way. But again, I want to come back around and say this. What sort of expectation and eagerness do you come each week with to hear God speak to you? That's a really big question. In fact, it may be the question whether or not church bores you or not. When you hear the word preached, when you hear themes of the word sung, when you hear it put before you, are you coming here going, I'm expecting God to speak to me. I know how much you need him to speak to you. I do. Think about all the questions we have in our lives. Think about all the problems, all the fears, all the trials and the struggles. We need God to speak to us. We need the voice of our Father. We need the voice of our Savior. And what I want to say to you, if you're not hearing it, it's not His fault. Because He means to speak to it. If I'm not hearing, it's not His fault. Do we come with expectation? 
But one more thing about recognizing the Word of God before we move to receiving it. Here Paul says the phrase, Word of God. Earlier, he says, I give thanks that you received the Gospel. And there we see something very important. That is, at the center of the Word of God is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, or the story of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's at the center of the Word that he's talking about here. The good news that God has sent a king to save you. To save you from the voices of your head. To save you from trying to save yourself. To save you from your moral failings. To save you from your fears. To save you from your diseases. That God has sent a king to save you and I. That's at the center. But you know, we can miss it actually. We can miss it. I was reading the book of Acts this week, and um, it's the record of the early church. And uh, it, we're told that Philip the Evangelist is sent. Philip the Evangelist is sent, and he's sent to uh, preach to an Ethiopian eunuch, and already you're seeing the cross-cultural work of the gospel there, as the gospel is working its way into Africa. And uh, we also find from Irenaeus, the second century church father, that that he says that the Ethiopian eunuch went on to be a great preacher and preached in his home country. But anyway, he shows up and he sees this eunuch reading the, the prophet of Isaiah. And he says, do you, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand if someone doesn't explain it to me? And it says, Philip went to Isaiah and he told him about Jesus. How did they do that? Because the entire text, the, the entire message talks about God's mission to save his people. This is what Jesus did on the, low, uh, with the, on the road to Emmaus, right? Where he gave a big Bible study on how Christ was found in all, all the Scriptures. Why is this so important? It's so important because you and I will go away from God's Word hungry and thirsty if we don't find a Savior there. We'll go away hungry and thirsty if we don't find a Savior. If the Bible is just wisdom to you, like life's little instruction book, if the Bible is just laws, moral laws for you, if the Bible is just inspiring sayings, like, you know, dream big or never give up, if you use the Bible just that way and you don't get to the Savior of Scripture, the one who is in there offering salvation, the one that has died for you, the one who has given his life for you, the one that has reckoned you righteous before God apart from any of your works, you and I will go away hungry and thirsty, but that isn't what God means to happen. I've said this a hundred times. I'm going to say it again. If you leave this church and you go on to have to find another church, you move or you need to find another church, make sure you hear how they preach out of the Old Testament. And if you don't hear them getting to Jesus, you need to go find a different church. Because Christ is the Savior of all of Scripture. But let's move to the last point, receiving the Word. It's one thing to recognize, it's another thing to receive, to receive the Word. And here we could say three things, accepting, imitating, and enduring. Accepting, imitating, and enduring. First of all, accepting. Paul is thankful that they accepted the Word, not as the Word of men, but really as it is the Word of God. It's possible for you and I to come week after week. It's possible you could be in this category that you recognize the Word of God, but you don't receive the Word of God. You recognize it, but you don't receive it. 
And the reason you don't receive it likely is because you really approach it as the words of men. We all do this. Have you ever uh, heard a sermon and you leave and you think, I didn't get anything out of that, but your roommate or your spouse got a ton out of it? Now, what happened? Was God's word only God's word to one people, one people group? No. What happened was my heart wasn't in the right place to receive it, right? It wasn't even the place to hear it. Maybe it's, you know, the preacher's style I didn't like. Maybe I thought he ought to exposit verse by verse. Maybe it's the preacher's personality I didn't like. It just grates against me. Maybe he doesn't have a lovely Scottish accent. <laughs> Do I sound envious? Or maybe just we tend to be a critical person, right? And let me say this. Preachers are the worst at this. Preachers are the most critical people when they hear other preachers. But, you know, this idea is you, you receive it, you, you don't, you're not, you're basically listening each week, or maybe you're the person in your community group that's always sort of the devil's advocate, right? Well, you, you got to be careful about that, because the Bereans, it says, were critical, but they were eager and joyful to hear the word. So you got to be both eager and joyful while examining the word at the same time. The point is this. If you basically hear the preacher and only as words of men, you will be able to receive the word through just a select few people. But if you're expecting to hear the word of God and you're listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, you will hear God's voice through whoever preaches faithfully. They could be boring. They could go on and on. Whatever the point, you will walk away with bread because you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So, that's one part of it. Our heart disposition. But he also mentions belief, doesn't he? He also mentions belief. The word at work in you believers. Belief makes all the difference, doesn't it? I mean, it's not so much the words you and I have in our head. It's that we're believing them. Because on any given day, there's lots of words that go in our head. But it's the ones that you've attached belief to. Those are the ones that are working for good or bad in your life. And the same thing is with God's Word. You might hear God's Word say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It doesn't matter about your dress size, how big your nose is, what skin color you are, how tall or short. You may hear that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but, but do you believe it? You may hear in the book of Zephaniah that God sings love songs over you, that God so loved you, he sent his only son, that God loves you with a great love, but do you believe it? You may hear that God has given you everything for life and godliness, that you lack nothing to navigate through life with, but do you believe it? You may hear that no one without holiness will enter the kingdom of God, but do you believe it? You might hear that Jesus Christ is a high priest that has been tempted in every way that you and I are and has felt every temptation that you and I have felt, but do you believe it? You may hear that one day you'll throw off this mortal flesh, the, the perishable will go away and the imperishable, and that God has planned things for you that you could not even believe for those that loved him. Do you believe it? Believing it makes all the difference in the world. You can hear the word, but you and I are called to believe it, to accept it, to bring it into our hearts. That's the difference. That's when God's work begins to work. God's word begins to work in your life. That's when it begins to transform you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So receiving, but also imitating. Also imitating. Paul says that I can tell you receive the Word because I can observe that you're imitating 
what other godly people do, what other churches do. This is what he says in here, right? Now, you know, individual, uh, modern people, we tend to believe that we're so original. You know, we tend to believe that we're really individuals and we make our own mark, but that, it's just not true. I mean, when we're little babies, how do we learn? We imitate. We imitate sounds. We imitate movements. And we don't get much further than that, do we? I mean, we, we, we see, we imitate people's dress. We imitate the way they speak. We imitate their thoughts. We imitate the way that they walked. You know, I remember as a kid coming of age and, you know, as a teenager in, in the 80s, just sort of looking around in the culture, trying to figure out, take cues from around me to know how to be. And think about what I had to deal with, The Breakfast Club. I'm, you know, watching the movie The Breakfast Club and, you know, things like that. Hopefully that'll tell me what I should be. We're constantly trying to imitate. We even imitate imitations. Maybe a friend of yours does an imitation of Barry Sanders and you realize, no, you're just doing Barry Sanders that Larry David does, right? We imitate those that imitate. That's not all bad. We were made to imitate. You're going to imitate. The question is, who are you going to imitate? Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You, are, you and I are called to imitate godliness as we see it. That's one of the ways that we learn. We look at someone a stage ahead of us. We look at someone that has walked in faith, and we begin to imitate them and know what to do. So, what imitation is your life telling? What impression do you do? As people look at your life, what would they say? We would find that God is the one that we're imitating, one of the ways that we know he's at work. But lastly, endurance. Paul is talking to the Thessalonians about um, the suffering that they've been enduring and from some of their own fellow Jewish countrymen. And these words are strong at the end. Maybe you found them offensive. Let me try to explain them. He's talking about fellow Jewish countrymen that are opposing them, persecuting them, but also those that are hindering them from telling the word of God to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. And you may have heard that and thought, well, that's anti-Semitic. Well, keep a couple of things in mind here. First of all, Paul is Jewish. Second of all, you can go to the book of Romans where Paul says that his love for his unbelieving countrymen is so great, he, he almost wishes he could be eternally damned in their place so they could be saved. The Thessalonian church itself is primarily Jewish. This isn't a racial ethnic slur. He's talking about moral and spirituality. He's talking about people that have opposed God and God's judgment. And he seems to indicate that judgment had taken place. Maybe it was the famine in AD 47. Maybe it was the expulsion of the Jewish people from Rome in AD 49. But either way, he talks about the judgment. But here's the point. He's thankful for the Thessalonians because they have endured trial. You, in our trials, in our sufferings, you know where we go. We go to the words that are in us. That's what we do. Whatever words are in you, that's what you'll turn to when you're suffering. Maybe they're words that are just sort of like, I'm going to get through this. Maybe they're coping mechanisms where you think, if I could just have another drink, or if I could just eat something else, or if I could go buy something, then I could get through this. These words that you and I tell one another, but what we want to find out here is that the sign of God's work working in us is we're going to those words. 
We can observe his word that's coming to place in trial. Maybe it's the fact that you just repeat one verse over and over in your mind. Maybe it's you take sticky post notes and you put them all over your house to remember you of the word of God. Maybe you're listening to the word of God. Maybe you're asking friends to pray it over you. But your instinct is to say, I need God's word as I'm suffering through trial. This is a sign that it's in work, at work with you and I. The words you and I turn to in our hardest trial are the words that are working in us. And so, let's have the work of God, the words of God, at work in us during our trials. And so, you see, before us, it's not just recognizing the Word of God. It's receiving the Word of God that He's called us to. Those are the two sides of it. I will tell you that I am thankful for you. Paul was thankful for the Thessalonians. I am thankful for you because I see God's work in your lives. I see you struggling with temptation and going to God's Word. I hear you testifying God's Word. I see you holding on to God's Word as you're facing trials. I see you hungry and thirsty for God's Word. I'm thankful for the way God's Word is working in this community. And I'd like to give thanks now. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way that your Word is at work in our community. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this Word that you've given to us. Pray you would strengthen us in it. In Christ's name, amen.